Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but we'll showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Hello and welcome to Future Tech Podcast. This is your host, Juliette Lamar. And we have on the line today, Brian Klatt. He is the co-CEO at Flurry. Welcome, Brian. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, why don't you kick us off by giving us an overview of Flurry? Well, great. So Flurry is, uh, what we believe anyway, is the world's first ACID-compliant blockchain database. And that's just a lot of acronyms for saying that it's a way that, for the first time, enables multiple organizations to actually share a common set of data, but no organization can control the data. So it allows a lot of information sharing and transparency to happen in a, um, you know, in a very visible way, that, uh, in, in trustless way, a decentralized way. Uh, and so that's a pretty new thing, and we think it has some pretty big implications on how business and communication is done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, why don't you go ahead and, and then just walk us through a little bit of you know how someone would use your product? Yeah, so um, Flurry would be used by either someone looking to launch any sort of application, and they may or they don't have to have a desire to have some of that information decentralized. So, you know, an uh, example that's very common in this space is a supply chain. So it's multiple organizations. They're trying to track product information, uh, perhaps tracking deliveries, um, depending on what they're trying to accomplish. 
And it's a great example where a lot of parties are involved and some of the data may have contractual or financial implications as far as products make specs or if they're being delivered on time, whatever the case may be. And so an organization may choose to actually have that information in this open database that any of the organizations have instant visibility to. So no one has to go to anyone else to ask a question or get a status or get data. And importantly, that characteristic also means no one has to trust the response of anybody because the uh, system itself can run completely independent. And it runs independently because when you initially set it up, you set up basically the rules that govern who can update what data under what conditions. And it enables it to happen in a, uh, a decentralized way. Essentially, every party gets a vote. They run miners, uh, you know, to borrow a word kind of from the cryptocurrency space where this happens. And because it's packaged as a database, it also means it's just really easy for people to interact with it from apps they develop. Um, so we even have examples where people are just building front-end web apps, but they're actually accessing all their data from a blockchain database. Uh, so it's, it's cool. It, it brings up a lot of new possibilities, and it really starts to change how we build and manage applications. And you offer a lot of unique things. You know, you've touched on a few of them, but uh, Flurry offers a lot of unique things for its users, such as your time-based blocks, uh, and things of that nature. Do you want to go ahead and do a little deep dive on, on those little attributes? Yeah, well, I'll say one of our design goals when we were building this as a database and a general purpose database was that even if someone didn't care about the blockchain aspects, they didn't care about this decentralization, that they'd still pick this database over other database options available to them today, which meant we had to come up with a database that really aligned with today's applications and the needs uh, emerging technologies like artificial intelligence, how does this need access to data? And because we were building this as a core blockchain, we knew we would have um, the complete history of all the changes that happened. And it's amazing how inexpensively you can save the history of data. You know, maybe five, ten years ago, this would have cost uh, not too much money, but a bit more money. And certainly 20, 25 years ago, it would have cost so much it'd be prohibitive. But today, storage is so cheap. You can just keep a history of everything that ever happened. But databases were never designed to leverage historical context information. And so we designed from the beginning this idea that you can instantly query the database at any moment in time in history. And because it's a blockchain, it actually means your database is immutable. It can't be manipulated. People can't go back and revise information in the past without it being detected. Um, and by exposing some of that capability, not only do we bring some of the blockchain benefits, like these auditing, people want blockchains because it has this immense auditability, right? Because if that's even a word, audit. Um, but you know what I mean. You can, you can go in and verify what happened in history. Um, but by exposing this as a database with this idea of time travel, it means that you don't actually have to go back and kind of inspect all these blockchain blocks and try and figure that all out. You can instantly query it. And in bringing it up to the app layer, then what we've actually done is allow you to build even applications that have a rewind button in the entire application. You can actually rewind the entire app to different moments in time because the database does all this for you. And it ends up saving you a lot of development time, too, because most apps we develop today have 
needs for like analytics or historical querying or, you know, historical information. What was the headcount, you know, a month ago or what was the money in the bank a month ago? And when you build an app that has that historical um, information in it, you always end up actually having to write all the functionality, create new database tables for all that. But all of a sudden, if the database automatically has all that data in it, you no longer have to build any of that. Uh, so that's that's pretty cool. So all these benefits of decentralization, we're also leveraging kind of the side effects of that, which is this immutable history and creating entirely new types of database features that are starting to change and save money on how end-user apps are developed. And there's more to it than that. But, you know, the time travel is certainly an area that a lot of people like to focus on because it's, it's pretty interesting and has good impl- you know, pretty big implications. Yeah, it's something that, that spans across multiple different businesses and uses um, that pretty much everyone would, would use that. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and also by bringing some more of that intelligence into the database, we structured the database as a graph database. And we think graph databases are uh, really well aligned for the next at least couple decades because they produce data in the format that today's modern web apps or iOS apps um, need. And the traditional, more relational databases that people use, there's a little bit of acrobatics you end up doing with the data that comes back, et cetera, and getting it into the right format. So graph databases are very powerful. They also offer a really good interface for things like artificial intelligence, data needs, um, and especially when you have this historical context, this time travel capability, you all of a sudden have this incredibly rich data store that can feed some of these new age engines. Um, so we're really excited, obviously, about the blockchain side, but we're also really excited because we feel like that has prompted us to rethink the database itself and come up with a lot of really interesting things that we can do there. Well, yes, and it, it's constantly changing. And then when you're aware of the constant changes, you're able to react to what your clients most need. Yes. And, you know, one of the things, like we talk to people who do uh, AI work, And, of course, AI is usually driven by data and most often historical data or lots of it. Um, And so someone identifies here, here's a a question I want to, you know, have AI answer. Maybe they're trying to match jobs with applicants using AI or predict something. Um, The first step is, okay, we need to feed these the AI engine data so that it can learn. And the first roadblock people often come across is, oh, I don't have actually all the data I'd like to be able to feed it. And again, having this historical context of what's happened allows you to automatically have that information. So there's questions you're going to not know you have today that you're going to have in three years or five years. And when you come across a situation where you need that data, your only choice is to try to start tracking it at that point and start building that history. But when you have an immutable database, you already have everything that ever happened. Um, So you'll be able to answer questions you don't even know you're asking yet. Um, And uh, that's obviously a nice thing to have at your fingertips. Oh, 100%. So why don't you go ahead and walk us through, if a client's coming to you and they want to use this, Walk us a little bit through your your UI dashboard and how the clients can interact with you, what they would need to get started. Yeah, well, it's a database, and databases aren't the most exciting things to kind of sit there and <laughs> stare at because normally it's your applications that are acting directly with the database. But we do have an administrative 
dashboard that allows you to go in and see the databases that are configured, take a look at their schema, and be able to actually issue queries or transactions right from the UI. So as you're setting up things or you're trying to figure out what data is in there, you can do that very easily. But how you actually interact with the database is really, it's just via a simple JSON API interface. So we've even taken things like uh, SQL. Obviously, we're a graph database, so SQL as uh, a language is more targeted towards relational databases. But we have a very SQL-like language that we allow people who know uh, that capability, which most people have interacted with the database, but allow them to structure this in a very simple JSON query statement that feel and look a lot like SQL. So a lot of people can just start using it because the syntax we use is quite familiar. When it comes to decentralization, so this idea that multiple organizations are actually going to run this database together and no one's going to control it, the only way you can do decentralization is if you have a set of rules. So, you know, every blockchain or distributed ledger that you ever hear about, they of course have a number of things, but there's a few core ones they have, and certainly rules is at the top of the list. If you think about something like Bitcoin, uh, so there's a lot of sub rules, but the main rule, of course, is you can't spend money you don't have, right? So mm -hmm. uh, all these computers on the network need to understand that information so they can basically approve or deny these requests as they come through. Uh, FlurryDB has the same sort of rules, but as a general purpose database, you can actually configure it to store whatever data you're looking to configure. But we allow you to build in, using a programming language, basically build in these rules that can actually use the data itself. And the rules might be as simple as, you know, this uh, users can update product information for maybe a supply chain example. If that user is associated with the company and that company is associated with the product catalog and the product they're trying to update is within that. And because we're a graph database, we can follow those relationships really simply but actually set up these rules that then govern exactly who can update what. Or say you wanted to build a distributed LinkedIn. You could set up a FlurryDB. And of course, one of the main rules there would be you can only update your profile uh, if the profile is yours. Um, so those rules can be programmed right into the database. And therefore, then all these sort of nodes or these miners that are participating and maintaining that data uh, they will process and run every one of those rules, and based on those rules, they'll be able to understand it was acceptable or not acceptable. So generally, when you're coming to set things up, what you want to understand is what sort of data do you want to store? You don't have to know all this up front, but what sort of data do you want to store because you want to kind of establish the schema in the database. This is the data it's going to house. And then under what conditions can it get updated and by whom? And then those will end up turning into rules that you put in the database itself. And once you have those in place, people can actually start mining that database and participating in it and uh, processing the data in a decentralized way. And if you just want to run the database internally as a normal standard database and you don't care about distributed consensus, that's super easy. You just sort of set it up like you would any other database, and you can just start using it right off the bat. Absolutely. And your, your Flurry apps, are those also an extra, or are they kind of included in, in a package that you would opt into as a client? I know you have a couple apps here. Yeah, we've got a couple apps, and they're more demo apps. So we've, we've built a product we call Flurry Advocate, which allows companies to basically push news to their employees, and then their employees can one-click share that news on their personal social media accounts if they choose to. 
but we actually track click-throughs and shares, so you could reward your employees if you wanted to uh, for doing things mm -hmm. like that. And then we built another sample application we call uh, CapTable, which manages shareholders and employee stock options, uh, more of a financials app. And it's a good example where we can show things like time travel. You know, if I go back a year and a day and two seconds ago, how many stock options were available and who had them versus, you know, today. And again, our time travel really highlights that sort of capability in an app like that. But part of the real motivation between behind these apps, and in fact, Flurry Advocates fully runs on it, is this idea of what we call the app factory. And Flurry itself, uh, at this stage, kind of has two big parts to complete our ultimate goal. One is this notion of decentralized data, and that's really what we've launched in Flurry DB and what we've been talking about. The other piece is the app factory, and we've built a initial version of it. And again, we have Flurry Advocate running on it, but we probably won't focus more efforts on it until next year. But it's really neat because it kind of brings this idea of decentralized applications, applications where not only can you kind of democratize your data, but you can democratize the functionality of apps with it as well. And it really flips the model we've migrated to over the last 10 years on its head. So right now, average large organizations are using about 500 software as a service apps within their company. And in every one of those cases, their employees are going in, they're entering data, that data is getting sent to the provider, you know, salesforce.com or Workday or NetSuite. And then that data sits in a silo. You don't have control over your data. And of course, you, it's very difficult to connect these providers together. And you, you sort of lost control. So the idea of the app factory, just like kind of democratizing data on the uh, FlurryDB side is democratizing the app. The idea that you can actually package up application functionality that has some common language, some way of speaking with other applications, which we've already developed. That's simple, non-obtrusive, but you can actually get the app and move the app to your data. So instead of you sending data to salesforce.com, you're taking functionality that like a CRM sort of functionality, but that functionality is actually moving across the cloud and executing right next to or with your data. So nobody's controlling the application. The applications themselves are moving to where the data is. And this gets into things like microservices and serverless runtimes of which we built. So it's an area we're really excited to do, but it's, it's basically sort of the next phase of what we're trying to deliver to have this big vision that we think uh, will really change how we consume and use applications as a whole. And so what... My next question is going to be, you know, all this sounds so great and people want to get involved. What is the pricing that you're going to be looking at for a service like this? Um, so the, uh, the pricing is free if you're just running it independently. And in fact, as a tokenized, um, is a, a, a token, you basically pay other miners to do this work for you as a token. Now, we'll also have a version where we will run a node for you. It's Flurry. And if you didn't want to maintain your own server, your own miner, but you wanted to participate in that, uh, you can go ahead and do that as well. And then, of course, you're just paying us based on the usage for that. And then for companies that really want to run this as a supply chain network, and it's sort of a business critical operation for them, all this information coming in their systems, et cetera, we'll offer some additional licensing and service support if those companies want to elect that. 
So it really depends on what you're doing, but I guess the short answer is at least if you're starting to build an app or you're using this as a full public database in the cloud, uh, either you're paying nothing or you're paying other people to actually run it for you. You're not directly paying Flurry. And we're sort of here to help support those customers or help them run the app at them, help them run the app if they decide they want uh, help in which is very noble. It seems, you know, you're trying to provide access for everyone and really just bridge the gap between people that want to work together. Absolutely. You know, the whole idea of decentralization and we don't key part of that is that we can't require ourselves to be in the middle of it otherwise it's not decentralized. <laughs> 100%. So you have a lot going on already, just so many different things. What is on the horizon for Flurry in the next few years? Yeah, so we're really focused on the database for now, and we have a lot of major steps to accomplish with it. We've got a very successful beta program that we launched back in November, and we have a full production release, our first production release of it coming up um, in, boy, about two months from now, just in June. So uh, there's a lot of work going on there, obviously. And then the full public version of FlurryDB, we're targeting the end of this year to have that release. So that really has a full plate for the rest of this year. Um, the whole app factory, serverless environment, and this decentralized application, that is a uh, that is really the next big piece on the horizon. So as I mentioned, we already have built a prototype of that. Uh, we've tested it out. We know it works. We're even running an application on top of it today. But taking that and making it available for other people to use uh, versus having a prototype is a pretty big project. And we think that uh, bringing that fully to market will consume the next couple of years. But the real vision we'll realize at that point is the uh, complete decentralization of data and decentralization of actually application functionality. Um, so it's a lot different than what exists today, and we think it'll be pretty cool, but uh, obviously there's a lot of work in making this happen. Oh, completely. And give us a little bit of background about yourself. You know, how did you get in, involved with Flurry, and uh, what is your background and your, your motivation within this industry? Sure. Well, I've been working in enterprise software for about two decades now um, and been really excited about the potential of blockchain and decentralization. So that is, uh, that's really um, what excited me. Is it related to getting involved and starting up Flurry? Most recently, I uh, was a co-founder of a large software as a service organization that focused on talent management, HR applications. And before that, just has been working on, you know, this is maybe my seventh um, company that I've started over those two decades. Um, so it's just the space I know, it's the space I love and have always participated in. And uh, we think we're at a very exciting time, more so than at least what I've seen over my couple decades of experience in the idea that decentralization of this information and trustless relationships, this is something we really didn't even think about just a few years ago. So we're really excited and hopefully this will be a, uh, you know, good capstone for uh, my career in technology and um, maybe one of the most revolutionary parts of the technology era that I've been able to see. I, mean, I can hear in your voice that this is something that you are passionate about and knowledgeable about, and this is a product that you think is really going to be a game changer. Absolutely. So what Absolutely. is the We're, best place? Go ahead. 
I was just saying we are super excited about it. So, yeah. Where can people find out more? Is it best to go to your website or you have social media links? What is the best place for people to connect? Well, we have social media links on our website. So our website's a great place to start. It's flurry, F-L-U-R dot E-E. Um, so short six letters, no dot com or anything. Um, so flur dot E-E. And also they're available. We do have a sign up for the beta and we host all the beta infrastructure. Um, we have a pretty full queue of uh, beta participants, but if people wanted to register as uh, we're opening up more capacity, we'll still be enabling additional accounts and people can actually try to utilize FlurryDB for free today. That's fantastic. Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining us here today on Future Tech Podcast and sharing your really wonderful company with us. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It was my pleasure to be here. So thanks for inviting me. That was Brian Platts. He is the co-CEO at Fleur.ee. This has been Juliet Lamar of Future Tech Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first, in their covered wagons, they find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.